lecture given by the members of the Syracuse, New York class. My name is Sharon Welch and I'll be your moderator for this class. This is a school and not a church. Neither are we affiliated with any religious organization. The school is a nonprofit, non-denominational, religious and scientific research organization dedicated and shown proof of the existence of Yahweh, our Elohim, and the operation of his eternal purpose, pattern, and plan operating throughout eternity to this present day. This school is a result of a divine vision and revelation given to our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley, in the state of Ohio in the year 1931. We were incorporated in the state of California in 1958. Since that time, we have established branch schools throughout the United States, Canada, and other certain foreign countries. The Syracuse branch was established in 1969. Now, in this school, we teach by the divine, by the names of Yahweh, which has been mistranslated to be Lord. And the title Elohim, which has been mistranslated to read God, and the name of the Holy Spirit manifested in or out of this physical body is Yahshua. Now, Lord and God are titles and not names. The Apostle Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, states in 1 Corinthians 8 and 5 that there are Lord's many and that there are God's many. But we now know that each Lord must have a name and each God must have a name also. Elohim is a title, but unlike Lord and God, Elohim is a divine title. That means that is the title that the creator chose for himself. Jesus is a name, but it is an erroneous name. A minor investigation on your part into a good dictionary or encyclopedia would prove that neither the Hebrew language, the Greek language, nor the Latin language have any characters or letters in their alphabet that would produce the sound that is made by the letter J. Neither was there a letter J in the English language until some 1400 years after the death of the Messiah, making such names as Jesus and Jehovah improper renderings of the true name of Father and his Son. Christ is a title just like Lord and God. Now, Yahweh is pure spirit. And in this state, he is incomprehensible and inscrutable. He is the ultimate source, substance, limits, and bounds. We have Yahweh in his pure spirit state symbolized on this chart as a cloud. Yahweh is not a cloud. He really chose the cloud to symbolize himself because the cloud has no particular or descriptive shape and form. We have this cloud painted all around the edges of this chart to show you that everything on the chart abides within the cloud. In like manner, everything in the universe abides within the pure spirit state of Yahweh. Now Yahweh, knowing that man cannot perceive of him in this pure spirit state, took on shape and took on form right within himself is Yahweh Elohim. This is the word or son, a super incorporeal being. That is the shape and form of a man but without flesh and blood. This form can only be seen in divine vision and understood in divine revelations. Later on, the self-same spirit <clears throat> manifested himself and walked the earth plane known as Yahshua the Messiah, 
whom the world erroneously calls Jesus Christ. Now, there is only one name under heaven that we must be saved, and that is Yahshua the Messiah, erroneously called Jesus Christ. Now, also in this school, we teach by a divine pattern of the universe. It's called the divine pattern because it is Yahweh's pattern. Yahweh led the children of Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness of Sinai and called Moses on top of Mount Sinai and showed him the tabernacle pattern in a vision. He instructed Moses to build one exactly like it in the wilderness. This tabernacle pattern consists of a most holy place, a holy place, and a court roundabout. These three compartments making up the one tabernacle pattern. We also go about in the school to show proof how that everything in the universe is made and operates according to the structure and function of the threefold tabernacle pattern and that absolutely nothing escapes the pattern. We have 10 primary constitutional aims and objectives, and they are as follows. First is to help you find and know Yahweh, our Elohim, as he really is and actually exists. Second is to form a nucleus of universal brotherhood of humanity in Yahshua the Messiah, without the distinction of race or nationality, creed, sex, caste, or color. Third is to investigate the unexplained spirit law or so-called law of nature and the powers latent in man. Fourth is to encourage and promote the study of the scripture, comparative religion, psychology, philosophy, modern practical and occult science. Fifth is to extirpate current superstition, skepticism, and ignorance. Six is to learn, know, and understand the operation of Yahweh's eternal purpose through the dispensation and ages. Seventh, to discern and avoid being deceived by Lucifer, the serpent, the devil, the dragon, or Satan and his demons operating the mystery of iniquity on earth through the dispensation of time. Eighth is to earnestly contend for the common salvation and faith which was once delivered unto the sons or children of Yahweh. Ninth is to make known that Yahweh from the beginning ordained. There is no other name given among men whereby men can be saved, saving the name Yahshua the Messiah. And tenth is to inherit eternal life now in the kingdom of Yahshua the Messiah with the hope of immortal glorification in the new earth state. Our watchword is peace. And our slogan is speak the truth. At this time, we'll have a class dedicated in prayer uh, by Dr. Jennifer Miller. She's available. And that'll be followed by a scripture reading, which is Matthew, the third chapter. And that'll be read by Dr. Scott Miller which is one of our readers this evening, and Linda Volpe from our Oceanside, California class will be our other reader for this evening. Dr. Jen Miller. Good evening, class. Let's evening. take a moment to bow our hearts and our minds and to thank 
Yahshua for adopting us into his family and sharing his family secrets with us because we know not everyone is allowed to see the truth and to love it. Let's ask him to keep us strong in the faith and to have love and patience for each other in these end times. And with that, let us all say, hallelujah. Tonight's scripture will be read out of the Holy Name Bible, containing the Holy Name version of the Old New Testament, critically compared with ancient authorities and various manuscripts, revised by A.B. Train at the Scripture Research Association. Matthew, the third chapter. In those days came John the Baptizer preaching, John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of Yahweh, make straight in the desert a highway for our Elohim. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about the Jordan, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruit meat for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I say unto you, that Yahweh is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat unto, into the garner that he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Yahshua from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Yahshua answering said unto him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Yahshua, when he said, when he baptized and went straight away out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of Yahweh descending like a dove and lighting upon it. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's Matthew, the third chapter. Thank you, Dr. Millers. And I'd like to uh, welcome everyone that has uh, joined us on our Zoom room and also those that are viewing us on YouTube, we appreciate your participation. And tonight we will have a three speaker format. And for our first speaker, we'd like to call on Dr. Frank DeMassey from our Syracuse, New York class. Good evening, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Yes. We can. Um, 
the scripture for me was a, a, a big eye-opener. Uh, me being raised a Roman Catholic and being actually inundated in the importance of baptism, I didn't know that I didn't know until by grace I came to this class in this school and under the vision that was re revealed to Dr. Kinley that made us realize and understand that water can't even clean your skin outwardly. How is it gonna clean yourself inwardly? And that's what this was a baptism was about. Uh, in the Catholic faith, if you were born and, and you weren't baptized, you couldn't marry, you couldn't, and if you died, you went to hell. Uh, you were constrained by all these laws and you didn't know any better. And you didn't know you didn't know. So you, you were in bondage. But this gospel, it doesn't set you free. It makes you free. It makes you realize and understand things that are irrefutable. Because the, the baptism, what John was doing was a baptism of repentance. See, water, what the, what the priests were, were doing, they were just pouring water on your head. They were, they were dunking you. They were, they were thinking, they were stuck on the manifestation of water, saying that water is going to clean you. And it's going to change you. But it didn't change anything. And, and that's what that old, everything about that old covenant was. It was a physical way of worship. And you had to do physical things. And that was your righteousness. But the irony here was you couldn't keep any of the laws. And the penalty of not keeping a law was death. So anything that, that got wet, in, in truth, it had to die. And that's why when Israel went through the Red Sea, they went through the Red Sea on dry ground. And anything that, that got, that's why Yahshua, well, let's get that where um, it behooves us to fulfill all righteousness. 15. 3.15. Matthew 3.15. And Yahshua answering said unto him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Well, I'm sorry, can you pick it up a little bit further? Go to like 13. Sure. Then cometh Yahshua from Galilee to the Jordan unto John to be baptized by him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? Yeah, because the, the what he's doing, John was doing, he's, he's performing a baptism of repentance and telling them, whatever sins you've done, I'll dunk you in this water and you'll be clean, so you'll be cleansed. So he comes to Yahshua and it says, have you sinned? And Yahshua, obviously there's no sin in him. He says, no. He says, well, then you should be uh, immersing me. But this is what this is all on the purpose, and this is what Yahshua says. Read on. And Yahshua answering said unto, unto him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented to him. Yeah, and 
before coming into class, we didn't know anything what Yahshua's purpose was. Everything that Yahshua did, what he came into the flesh to do was to fulfill that covenant that no one could keep. He came in to die. He, there couldn't be a, a greater sacrifice than the creator himself. What greater, what greater display of love is, is laying your, your, your life down and conquering death, hell, and the grave? That's the love of this gospel, and that's the beauty of this. But we didn't know that coming in before coming into this class and, and standing before this gospel. We just thought that we, once you get baptized, that uh, it was just a thing you, you did. It, it didn't change you. Like, like all the different laws in the, in the church, it does. It, it doesn't do anything for your conscience. All it does is it creates condemnation. And that's what this, this old covenant was all about. It was consumed in, cons in condemnation because they couldn't keep it. It was designed that way. That's what, how Yahweh set it up. He set it up so that you couldn't keep it. So he could come in and he could keep it, fulfill it, put it out of the way, and bring in a new covenant, a spiritual covenant. But what did the world do? The world basically called him a liar and put the old covenant right, right on the other side of the cross of, and not acknowledging his crucifixion. And they just changed old over and put new on it and are continuing to do the same things. But by grace and mercy, he's opened our eyes to that. And we know and understand. We see why was that old covenant there? It was there for us to see and understand the principle. It was un for us to understand what love was, understand what sacrifice was, what obligation is. All those things are principles. And it just goes all down to Romans 1, 19 and 20, where, he, where something physical is going to reveal something spiritual. And you're going to be able to clearly see something invisible by something that's made. And you're not going to be able to see that unless Yahshua opens your eyes to it and makes you give you that revelation. Um, you know, everything about that old covenant, it was a physical way of worship. That's all they could do was physical things. And then, I mean, you, you think about it, uh, right from the beginning, Adam and Eve had one law, don't touch the tree, and they couldn't keep it. Israel had uh, 10 commandments and 603 ordinances. So the ordinance was, Yahweh set it up that way, where even he set up, well, if you did this, then you've got to bring this to the altar. You've got to, there was 613 laws and ordinances you had to, you had to obey. You, you, they couldn't keep one. How are you going to keep 613? But he, he designed it that way. He realized that's how, when you start to see this purpose and, and understand it, you're not going to have such a hard time with it. You, you see his purpose unfold before your eyes. And all you can do is, is get on your knees and be thankful and be humbled. Let's start the... Um, let's start right from the beginning of the, of the chapter, see where we can go with it. Um, 
Matthew 3, 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of Yahweh, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather belt about his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about the Jordan, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Yeah. See, that's what John's obligation and duty was chosen to do. He was baptizing people. He was inundating people in water and, and, in principle, cleansing them and telling them to repent, to change their ways. But it, it's not going to change their way because if it did, then there would be no need for Yahshua to come in and do what he had to do and die that death of an outcast dog. See, these are things that we just didn't understand coming into it, at least me being in a, in a Catholic uprising up raising i didn't know anything about water I, I just thought it was something you just had to do and i thought it well the, the cleansing was uh, a mystical hocus pocus thing and and yeah you were set for life and and you can go on with your your physical way and your physical desires nothing to do with spirituality that's why when dr kinley said when we came into class we were dead on arrival well, how were we dead? We were breathing, we were talking, we were we had uh, a life, but we didn't know what life was. We thought life was our desires, our, our our glory, our wants. We didn't understand that number one, we even had a creator and, and his what his name was, and he had a purpose. We didn't have any of those that understanding, but by grace and mercy, he called us. He called us to this teaching, nothing that we did on our own. He called us to this and opened our eyes so we can understand and see that just the magnificence and the magnitude of a name. Before coming into class, yeah, we, we had the importance of our name, but we didn't care what the name of the creator was, Lord, God, Jesus, Jehovah. It didn't matter to us because it wasn't the center of our life. We were the center of our life our wants, our desires, but by grace and mercy, he's, he, he cleansed us, he changed us, he converted our nature, and he makes us see and understand, and now in this new covenant, it's a spiritual way, so now all those physical uh, manifestations, we understand because it, it shows forth what the spiritual principle it was trying to represent, and it wasn't us that that made us uh, see it, it was him in us, allowing us to see it. Everything about that old covenant, it was, and it was given, I didn't know, it was given to the Jews and Jews only. I didn't know that. Because, you know, uh, just just this past Friday, it was a, it was a special day. Uh, I have friends who are still staunch Catholics. And this past Friday was uh, the Immaculate Conception. 
March 25th. It was called the Immaculate Conception. And I'm thinking, well, and it's a holy day of obligation. If you don't go to church on that day and you die, it's a mortal sin and you're going to hell. This is their doctrine. I'm not picking on Catholics, the people, but I am picking on their doctrine because the, it, it's a lie and, and, it, and it holds people's souls for, um, in bondage. And think about it. Well, March 25th was the Immaculate Conception because they want to add nine months to March 25th. And guess what you get? You get the birth of Jesus. And there you go with, with the Mary thing. And I, I can't, I can't get over how much the Mary thing has uh, has shown me the difference when I, I started to understand and realize the origin of it. You go from Semiramis and Nimrod all the way through uh, Diana and all, all through, when you conquer a land, you conquer the religion, you conquer their beliefs. And it goes from one empire to another empire. And it's, it's just a simple principle. You, you put 10 people in a circle and start whispering the truth to one. And then by the time it gets all the way around, it, it doesn't even resemble what, what the origin, original message was. And, but Mary, the same principle, it, it's always been there that the, the queen of heaven and the little baby Jesus, I didn't know any of that. I didn't realize the, how it's just a, a basic lie and the origin of, of Babylon and Semiramis and Nimrod. I didn't know any of that stuff. But by mercy and, and grace and truth, all these things can be revealed to you. And it becomes the foundation of, of, your, of your, the strength of, of your sanity and, and your, your anxiety is curbed. Your, your, your vision is, isn't skewed where you're not seeing things as they truly are. It's only by grace and mercy that these things occur. It's not your intelligence. It's not uh, anything that you did on your own. It's Yahshua in you revealing them to you. And once some things are revealed to you, your nature is going to change. It's just going to change. And all of a sudden, your goals are going to change. Your, your desires, your things that make you warm and fuzzy inside are going to change. And it's, and it's only by grace and mercy that that occurs. So water baptism, I mean... All it does, you think about it, if you can't clean your hands with just water, when you immerse your hands in water, you need soap to clean yourself. But yet, the church is going to tell you, you dip yourself in water, and uh, you're going you're to rise up a, a, a holy person, a, a new person. And they, go, they use that, where is it, in Matthew, right? Go to Matthew where it says, uh, I'll be with you till, till the end of time and baptize them in the name. I know it's there somewhere. 2819. The end of the chapter, yeah. wherever it is. Oh, yeah, Matthew, Matthew 28 and 19. 
Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And for years and years and years, when we would hear that, we baptize them in the name, we're thinking water. I don't know. Because of John the Baptist, we're thinking we're baptizing while you're, you're dumping them in water. No, the principle there is being inundated. And it's in, in the names and the understanding and the knowledge of what is a name. Just a simple investigation. The letter J. J didn't come into existence until 1600s. So when he worked and then Yahshua walked the earth plane, what's the probability his name was, they were calling Jesus to come to lunch or to dinner. It just couldn't happen. No Jehovah, no Jesus, no J to this day. No in the Greek, in the, in the Latin, in the Hebrew, no J. What's the importance of a name? If someone calls you the wrong name, you get offended. How much more that the creator of all things is the importance of his name? That's, that's a revelation, though. The world doesn't see it, doesn't get it. They say, oh, it doesn't matter uh, what you call him. He knows. But what doesn't he know? If he is knowledge, he is intelligence and the essence of it. It's not the, it's not the idea that he knows. The important, important thing is that you've got to know. We have things so screwed up from, from the churches and from the men's doctrines and vain, vain imaginations. Uh, we think that we can get down on our knees and open our hearts and, and let him, let Jesus in. And it's, it's a total opposite. That's what that mystery of iniquity is going to do. He's going to twist things around. He's going to make you believe things that, that aren't true. But once, you, once your eyes are opened and you get eyes to see and ears to hear, and heart to feel and love the truth, then the appreciation comes. And you're going to realize the grace has been bestowed upon you. And all you can do is, is, is just get on your knees and be thankful. So uh, kind of running out of gas. So I'm going to give up the floor. I'm thankful that I'm in class. I'm thankful that I understand this principle of baptism. And I hope someone got something out of that. That I'm going to give up the floor. Sorry for the no, no, late notification, Sharon. Our next speaker will be Dr. Deb Kometty from the Syracuse class. Hi, everybody. Hi. Hi. Um, hey, Deb. Are we getting an echo? Because I'm in a different place uh, on my laptop. Does it sound okay? So far, so good. Okay, good. Um, okay. Um, so Frank has uh, started us off with this um, baptism and this idea of um, bringing your, confessing your sins and bringing going to a baptism that John was performing, going to this baptism because you admitted your sins and then you were going to be immersed. And what that immers immersion was going to do at that time 
was make you ready for when Yahshua raised from the grave, when he was died, buried, and resurrected, and when he rose, then those people would raise with him, and that did happen when he went, um, when he raised, it was a vision, but it did happen. Yeah, thank you, Greg. It's right in that little section there. Um, that when he rose, the people that were uh, had been buried in in that um, baptism or had been died in the faith and the hope of Yahshua, the Messiah coming, then they would have risen with him. And um, it might be a little clearer if we read Matthew 27, 52 and 53, please. Matthew 27 and 52. Okay. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the sons that slept were raised and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Okay. So the power of Yahshua's resurrection brought these people in a vision now. Okay. This is um, not something that... Um, if you were invited to the vision, you wouldn't have seen this happen. But the graves were opened and many bodies of the sons that slept were raised. And what we're talking about there is they went into the holy city, into Jerusalem. And it shows this principle of what Yahshua had promised. Um, can we get, let me see, is it on the chart anywhere? That little... Um, in Job, it, Job talks about seeing Yahshua. And I can't remember exactly where it is in Job. He says, I'll see him in my flesh. Um, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to, let me see, is this it here? Oh, yeah, perfect. Okay, so Job 19, 25, 26, and 27, please. Job 19 and 25, for I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see Elohim, whom I shall see for myself and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Okay, so now Job is being moved by the Holy Spirit to speak this way because Job would have no way of knowing this otherwise. But he's talking about, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Now, Job is one that lived before Yahshua came on the earth plane. And um, he's one that died in the flesh. So Job would be one that would be found in that vision that we just talked about where the sons that died in the faith where they rose and went into Jerusalem, Yahshua being first. And we can also pick that up in Matthew, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians uh, 15 and 20. Let me see. 1 Corinthians 15 and 20. Um, hang on a minute. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 15 
and 20, talking about the order of the resurrection. This also is important to understand what's going on here and the vision we're talking about uh, that we just read in Matthew. Okay, um, so it's always important to know like where we are, who we're talking about, and what's happening in the purpose and plan of Yahshua. So Yahshua's died, buried, and resurrected. And then he said, when he rose, many of the sons that slept in the earth and, and sleep, they will sometimes use interchangeably with somebody that has passed away. And Paul, Paul does that too. Matter of fact, he does that in this chapter also. But then they rose and they went into Jerusalem. So go ahead, Scott. Uh, first, first Corinthians, oh, I'm sorry. First Corinthians 15, 20. But now yeah. is Yash, but now is Yahshua risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. He's become the first fruits of them that slept. So Yahshua was the head. So um, a good witness to Yahshua having to be first, and then the rest of the body or the rest of the sons were going to come after him is our own bodies, that when we try to raise from a sleep or we try to get up out of bed, your head has to get up first. And um, it's just an example that Yahshua put in our bodies to show that and when he's, he's the head, he had to raise first. He's the first fruits, right? And then it says, and, be, and he became the first fruits of them that slept. Go ahead, Linda. And 21. I lose Linda. Um, yeah, I get it. I'm sorry, I keep cutting out, so I might not be able to read that. For, sin, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in the Messiah shall all be made alive. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Good. I don't know if I was cutting out, but every man in his own order, Yahshua the first fruits, afterward they that are Yahshua's that is coming. Okay, so now see where um what Job was testifying or prophesying was that he would see, even though he was he knew he was gonna pass away, right? He said, The skin, my skin's gonna be uh destroyed by worms, so he knows he's gonna be died and buried and this and the worms will eat his flesh but yet in my flesh shall i see elohim whom i shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another though my heart be consumed within me so now here's the fulfillment of that with joe being one of the ones that died in the faith and was waiting for the messiah and the messiah comes and he fulfills his part of the promise of what he's supposed to do. And then there's that resurrection. And David even talks about over in the Psalms that he knew that Yahshua would not leave his soul in Sheol or in hell. He knew that that redeemer would come and that he would raise those people out of that grave because we don't have a chance to get out of the graves ourselves. We know that. That's why people fear death so much is because it's an absolute, you know, you're going to die, but you 
you don't know, you have no control over it. And, you know, if you don't want to die at the time you're appointed, or if you don't know what's coming later, or you feel like you haven't lived your life fully, you have no control over that death. But when we see, like Job's talking about, this is something that's upright, uh, uplifting. He's saying, I'll see Yahshua for myself. And then, you know, he would be, he would have that fulfilled. And so we got the fulfillment over there that we read about in Matthew in the vision. And then we got Yahshua being, or Paul's calling him the first fruits. And that's where Linda was just reading in Corinthians. So when he's talking about Yahshua, he did the, he raised the first fruits. And again, like what, you know, I wasn't raised in a Catholic setting, but I was raised a Methodist. But like Frank was saying, you, you just would have no clue what was really being talked about in these scriptures and Paul's letters and anything you read in the book. You just, you had to fill in the blanks with your own carnal mind because you just really would not have a clue where this stuff was going. But see, Yahshua, he showed Dr. Kinley and Dr. Kinley brought it to us. So it's not Dr. Kinley uh, reading up on it or being such a good student or being so diligent or going to church more than you did. For him to have figured this out, he said he had a vision directly from Yahweh Elohim. And Yahweh Elohim is Yahshua. So we're not talking about two different parts of, of God. We're talking about the same. Okay, but Yahshua he he's the part he's going to be the one that comes in and he he comes in a physical body okay and Yahweh Elohim is in vision and revelation but it's the same spirit it's the same one here again we had no clue what any of that was talking about um when with water baptism with uh thus it becometh us who's the us we just did not know what these things were about when Dr. Kinley had his vision and revelation, all he did was give credit to Yahshua. He never once tried to say, this was all because I, I picked this up, I understood it, this kind of thing. It was all give the praise given to Yahshua. And that's what I hear from the speakers that I listen to, is they just give the credit to Yahshua. And so that's what... Uh, I hope and trust that's what I do. And that's what all the speakers do on Zoom because that's the only one that deserves the, the credit. So he's talking about here, Linda, can you pick it up in 23? Yes, I can. But every man in his own order, Yahshua, the first fruits, afterward, they that are Yahshua's at his coming. Go then, ahead. Cometh, then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to Yahweh even the father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now, he has already done that for those that have received the Holy Spirit. The last enemy will be destroyed that's death and we no longer fear death because we know that that has nothing to do with us that has no hold on us yes we know our bodies are going to go to the cemetery but there's a second death and it has no strength no hold on us 
And that gives us the confidence and that gives us the comfort in our heart that Frank was trying to convey and say how, how much different it is than the guilt and the ugliness that was in church where you just didn't get that same comfort. You were afraid, you were guilty, you were looking over your shoulder. Everything was about going to hell. And, you know, if you're a little kid, hell was uh, a devil with a, with, uh, a dragon with a pitchfork and um, just fire everywhere and people crying and bleeding. We just didn't know what all this was about, but we've already had this fulfilled with us that the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Why? Because we're in that kingdom now. We're in Yahshua's body now. We're in the resurrected Yahshua now. Just like those sons, he showed how they rose and they went with him into Jerusalem. That's us now in the spirit. We're in that body and we're just waiting for our bodies to be given that immortal glorified body. We don't have that yet, but that spirit of Yahshua is, is right now abides with us. And so we don't worry about the death. I mean, it's not like you uh, want to leave your loved ones or it's not like you want to, um, you know, do something you want. To, you, I got something to do. I want to see my kid grow or, you know, something like that. But it's not the fear and the torment that a lot of people face when they know like they're struggling with a, an illness or they know they have not long on this earth. So um, he's already done that for us. It's comforted our hearts like Frank was talking about. So um, I think I'm not going to go much further into Corinthians, but if Scott could go back to the scripture reading, um, this is where we're uh, trying to go with this to see just what exactly Yahshua has done for us because this whole point of Yahshua being on the earth plane was to fulfill what was already set up in the law and the prophets, which was the old covenant, Frank touched on, and once he fulfilled it, he moved it out of the way. It's just kind of like when you make your last uh, mortgage payment, then that bill is moved out of the way, and you are free from a mortgage payment. You Now you begin this liberation with that money that used to always have to be set aside for mortgage, but it's fulfilled now. The bank will actually send you you know, a notice saying, you know, congratulations, you fulfilled your um, obligation to this mortgage. And now you're, you know, you're free to do what you want with your money. And we're just looking at that as a small example to say how we're free in Yahshua, the Messiah. So when we go back and we read something like John with John the, um, the Baptist, this will be one of the first things that somebody outside of the knowledge of this doctrine will ask you about is baptism and they'll they'll be going to these kind of scriptures to say well what about this he's he's right here he's baptizing and um i think somewhere i can't think of where it is right now it says that um like paul paul didn't hardly baptize anybody and and either did yashua so it's not like it was something that they did just making a point it was for, for a time, John the Baptist was the main character in this, in this baptism, and he's preparing these Israelites for this big event that's going to happen in um, coming up in April, where um, Yahshua is going to raise from the, I mean, I'm sorry, in June, when Yahshua is going to raise, and he's going to um, pour out his Holy Spirit 
on June 6th. I know I messed it up a little bit. My point was the June 6th is to get the Holy Spirit in you. Okay, go ahead, uh, Scott. You want to start at three and um, one? Yeah, okay. I like the point about, um, uh, I like the point in six. So if we start in three and six. Okay, Matthew three and six. And oh, yeah. I guess you have to get five. I'm sorry. <laughs> Matthew three and five. And then went out him to Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around about Jordan. And were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. See, that's very important part. They're confessing their sins. And if you read over there in, um, I think that's also in the Psalms where it talks about everybody's righteousness was as filthy rags. So everybody has sin at this point in time where they're confessing their sins. Everybody except Joshua, because he's a specially prepared body. That's come to do a job. So he's the only one in the absolute world at that time that's not going to have sin. Okay. Looking at men, women, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so they're confessing their sins. Go ahead. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Go ahead. Bring forth, therefore, fruit to meet for repentance. See, you've got you've to come with your heart in your hand, so to speak, and you've got to confess your sins. And people knew that they had sinned because Frank was describing the 613 laws and ordinances, and it was impossible to keep them because man was made carnal and you couldn't keep all of them, even no matter which way you turn, you couldn't keep them all. See, Yahshua is the only one that's going to be able to keep the law, and he's the only one that's going to do a, a satisfying full job of keeping the law, moving it out of the way, and then giving, handing us something, like Frank said, full of grace and mercy, handing us something that we can abide in, which is his Holy Spirit guiding us and, and allowing us to make the right decisions, to do the right things, and to be in his body. That's the main point. He's the husband, we're the wife. He's the head, we're the body, okay? And these are all things that people would have never guessed how close we could actually be to God. You don't have to go to a church because that's God's house. You don't have to go to temple or synagogue or sanctuary or put prayers in the wall he's right within us he he hears our our groaning he hears our our needs and what what's happening with us and he's offering a prayer that we we can't even begin to utter the things that we actually need he's offering that up for us see so nobody would have even thought that was any kind of design because everybody had statues of their gods everybody had to go to a temple for their gods and even back in the old covenant, Yahweh Elohim dwelt in that cloud that was at the tabernacle. Okay, so it it wasn't an odd thing, but now this is going to be a new thing where he dwells in your heart and in your mind individually. So um, the scribes and the Pharisees, they can't get near any of this because they are they're so entrenched and what what they they were moralistic. 
and they were, you know, self, um, what do I want to say? They were, they weren't self-indulgent, but yet they were self-righteous. So that's what hurt them. They couldn't hear what was, what Yashua was saying because they were self-righteous and they thought, what, what's he going to tell us about why we got to go to a baptism and confess anything we're righteous. So see, that's how they're going to miss the boat. And that's why he's saying, bring forth fruits befitting repentance, but there's no way they can because they're not going to confess anything. They already feel we got this covered. We're the righteous ones. And they weren't, there was none righteous. And like I said, that's back there. And um, well, Paul writes about it in Romans, the third chapter, it's um, none righteous, no, not one. And it's back there in the Psalms as well. So keep reading there, um, Scott. Matthew 3, verse 9. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, that Yahweh is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So now these, these Pharisees, that they tried to hide behind, you know, who they were because Abraham was their father. And, and Yahshua, he's just cutting down everything. He's saying, think not, because he, he's, he knows what they're thinking. He knows that they think they got it covered, that they're self-righteous just because they're the children of Abraham. No, no, no. He's saying, I can take stones. I can take these stones right here and raise up children unto Abraham. So that's not your cover. He's, he's blowing their cover right off. But see, they don't care. They can't hear him. They can't receive him because they feel he's not the one. And unfortunately, um, they're going to be lost. Go ahead. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So now here's, here's John. And he's, he's giving them a good, you know, a good battle and he's giving them a lot to think about, but that's not going to change their hearts. Their hearts are, are already hardened in their own self-righteousness. That's why it's so dangerous when, um, you, you know, you're looking over at somebody else and you're thinking, oh, I'm glad I don't do that. Listen, you don't know the whole story. So you just worry with, like what with, your own self, because you know what's going on with you. And you just worry about that and you'll be fine. But when you start looking at other people and saying, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like her. Oh, my God. You know, that's when you get into trouble because self-righteousness, Yahweh hates it. It's an abomination unto him. So you don't want to get caught up in that. And that's what these religious leaders were doing. So John's saying, I'm going to baptize you with water. And that's what Frank was talking to you about. That's what the churches are still offering today. They're offering you a baptism of water. And he's saying, yeah, I'm doing that because that's what he was told to do. And that was necessary. Don't misunderstand. That was absolutely necessary for the time because it's before Yahshua's death, burial, and resurrection. Okay, so this has to take place, but you have to know what place it, where it's at so that you can see now where we stand and how it fits in and how you fit in. Because 
if you just started picking up the book and you opened to Matthew 3.15 or you went to church and they were dealing with Matthew and it says, here, here we go. We're going to be baptizing with water today. Look at, oh, here's Jesus. Jesus got baptized right here and said, John, just do it. So without much thought, you'd say, well, that's good enough for me also. And um, you'd, you'd get right in and, and you'd be baptized. And then you're going to be sad and you're going to be disappointed because it really isn't going to have any effect on you. You might be happy you did it. You might be joyful, but you really, there's not, there's not going to be any change in the heart and the mind because it's impossible. The spirit has to get in there and that's Yahshua. So he's saying, John's saying, what I'm doing, I'm baptizing you with water. That's how, what I was sent to do. And there's one that's coming later because John's the forerunner to Yahshua. He's his cousin. And Frank, guess who's born in December? It's John the Baptist. Because why? Because he's doing the burial. Okay. And so he's Yahshua's cousin because uh, Yahshua's mother, Mary, and John's mother, Elizabeth, are cousins. So he's the forerunner to Yahshua, but he, he's um, baptizing and he says, I'm not worthy to bear the shoes of Yahshua. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Totally different elements than what John was working with, which was in the River Jordan. Keep going, Scott, in 12. Verse 12, whose hand is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Okay, so now here's where um, Yahshua is going to come to the baptism. Okay, and uh, carry on, Scott. Then cometh Yahshua from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? Mm -hmm. And Yahshua answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. Okay, so he baptized Yahshua, the, the Messiah, right then and there. He baptized him, but guess what? It wasn't unto repentance. It was unto fulfillment. Because there was nothing, Yahshua is that lamb without spot and blemish. And you can pick up in other places where Paul says he came in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin to help us get out from under this death threat. And, and the um, Israelites were under that law. The Gentiles, they, they, couldn't, um, they didn't have a prayer because they didn't know how to get up out of the grave either. So we all needed something, okay? So he's saying, permit it to be so now, or suffer it to be so now. He got in the water, but it was unto a fulfillment to move something out of the way. It's like, once again, it's the final mortgage payment. This is the final baptism in water. And so many people in religious world today have missed that point. And this is something that was brought to Dr. Kinley's attention by Yahshua when he had his vision in 1931 to say, no more, no more in water. And, and Dr. Kinley would definitely, definitely, definitely keep talking and talking and talking about water baptism and the importance of getting past it, that it was not anything to do now. It's not a show. 
an open show of inward grace and all that. It's none of that. It's just something that's not necessary. Okay. So he, then Yahshua, uh, let's pick up 16. What happens to Yahshua after he's baptized? And Yahshua, when he was baptized, went up straight away out of the water. And lo, the heavens were open unto him. And he saw the spirit of Yahweh descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Now, who, who saw that? That's John the Baptist. He's seeing this. He's having this vision. And what's the vision? What happens uh, next? He hears something. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So now John knows what's going on with Yahshua. And he knows now why he didn't have sin. And he knows now what's going on. Who's, he's the forerunner. <laughs> to his own cousin, Yahshua, see? And so here's the voice from heaven telling John, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And next thing you see, Yahshua is going up into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Well, how is that working? If you look at the chart here, where you see when the children of Israel, when they went through their baptism, you can pick up and, uh, Corinthians 10 and 1, it says where they were baptized in the cloud and in the sea. But when they went and after their baptism, what do the children of Israel do? This is back in the law. Remember, I said Yahshua's fulfilling. What did the children of Israel do back there? They're in the wilderness. And who are they tempted by? They're tempted by the devil. But they fail miserably. They, they just break every commandment, even, you know... But before Moses is even down from the mount, they've already started with a golden calf and they're doing all kinds of things. And they forgot all about, you know, how they got up out of Egypt. They're just, they're just having a ball and they don't want anything to do with anything besides the golden calf. Give us the gods, okay? And that's what they saw in Egypt were golden statues. And that's what you're gonna see in the churches still today. You're gonna see golden statues uh not so much of a calf or an animal but you'll see um statues of mary you'll see statues like it'll, they'll call them saints saint joseph saint anthony uh saint jude it'll go on and on there'll be stations of the cross and they'll have gold everywhere and they take that from bits and pieces out of the old testament but never telling you because they don't know themselves what all, why am why is all that stuff fragmented over here we don't even know what it means see it always it always fulfilled if you can just think about your last mortgage payment is all that old testament and you think about are you going to have a burning desire on the first of each month oh geez i just want to have i just want to make a mortgage payment again it just feels so right you're not going to do that and that's what we're talking about with leaving this old covenant and all of its statutes and ordinances, leaving it alone because there's a new and living way. And um, I like the way Paul says it in Hebrews, the ninth chapter, if we can grab that for a minute. And Linda, just tell me if you can't read because you're breaking off. But if you can get Hebrews nine, where Paul talks about a new and living way. It seems like my connection's good now. Okay, um, good. Okay, so now it's nine. And let me see here. Um, okay. 
Yeah, I'm looking also. Okay, try try a maybe I miscalled the script the the but try a um let me see here. The Holy Spirit thus signifying that the way into the holiest world, which was a figure. Okay. Um Okay, this will this will work. Go to um, go to eleven. Never mind eight. Hebrews nine eleven. Yeah. Okay. But Yahshua, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Now, do you see where Paul's going with this? He's, he's looking back at that, that old mortgage payment. He's looking back at that old Testament, that old way of worship. And he's saying, but now Yahshua came. He's the stopper of the mortgage payment. Okay. He's, and he's got better things to come. That's what we want to talk about. Okay. Oh, and Peggy said Hebrews 10 and 30. Thank you, Peg. I mean, 10 and 20. Um, so okay. hang on to that, Scott, for just a second. And I want Linda just to read a little bit more where she is. And Scott can grab the other one. But thank you. Knew that was there somewhere. All right. Hebrews 9, 12. Yep. Neither, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained an eternal redemption for us. Now, do you, you see how this is going once again? Blood of goats and calves, all that stuff was back under the old covenant. It was sacrifices. It was holy obligations. It was things they had to do. And Frank even talked about holy obligations and, and days that you, like the 25th of March, that you had to be um, at, at church. And, and I'm sure that a lot of people made sure that they fulfilled that obligation because they feared hell, okay? But he's saying not by any more of that, now we're talking about Yahshua, the specially prepared Yahshua. The blood in his body was going to be the only blood, the only acceptable sacrifice for us to receive eternal redemption. So that means taking away sin, redeeming us from that flame of fire, redeeming us out of sin, redeeming us from whatever carnality we were in. He has we have obtained eternal redemption for us. That's, and Frank kept saying, grace and mercy, grace and mercy. And it's hard for us to understand that, especially in these days and times. Usually when somebody's just being overly kind or nice to me, I, I really have to sit back and think, what do they want? Because it's so unusual for somebody to just do a random act of kindness, but it's done. I understand that. Go through the Dunkin' Donuts and you'll get a random act of kindness. But anyway, um, go over to um, Hebrews 10 and 20 because this is, starting 19, this is where Paul's also talking about this new way, this, this treasure that we have. Go ahead. Hebrews 10 and 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Yahshua, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Now, I must, I might add, if you weren't in this class, 
or you weren't an avid studier of ancient tabernacles and the you know Israelites history and all that how would you possibly know what he was talking about with veils and uh, boldness and to enter into a holy place and the and what blood how do we get the blood of Yahshua how does that mean anything to us because I mean I went to church I was strict going to church or for many, many years, and I never put the blood together with anything. It was just that body on the cross. We never talked about the blood. And and quite frankly, I don't even know if our statues of Jesus, I don't even think they had blood on them. Like I see some, they're pretty graphic and they got blood dripping and stuff. I don't even think we had blood. So the blood was not a big, you know, focal point for us, but it's, it's the biggest focal point with Yahshua having that blood in him that was going to be the only acceptable sacrifice. And so here again, we, we're drawing all this information out of the Old Testament, but we're moving, like Paul says, to a new and living way, which he consecrated for us. Folks, we just, Frank kept saying it, and I'll have to say it too. We just couldn't get there ourselves. All as carnal minds, all we were going to be doing is going to that grave and, and not raising on the right side of the tracks. I'll put it that way. He consecrated us. He came and he lifted us. He lifted us out of that sin, out of that misery. He lifted us out of that grave and into a new and living way. And he and you just wouldn't know what that what any of that even meant. When you find out about the high priest back there, he could only go into the most holy place where Yahweh dwelt in the cloud. He could only go in there one day a year, October 10th, and he's carrying blood, okay? And he can't go in there unless he's got the right things and his steps are ordered. He has to go in there and walk around there correctly. And he also is carrying the whole nation of Israel on his clothing, now that's just significant of what's happening with what Yahshua did for the Jews that he had them on his clothing. But don't don't forget now we're Gentiles. There's pomegranates and there's bells that are sewn on the bottom of the high priest's garment. And guess what? That's you and I. So you see how we've come full circle with Yahshua the Messiah. He's brought us up into the most holy place. And now this is where we are. That's why I was saying we're in the kingdom now. This is where we dwell. And if you look at the most holy place, it was beautiful. It was a golden mercy seat. And it was angels, huge angels, Michael and Gabriel. Thank you. There were angels. It was a mercy seat. Okay. Yahshua. Yahweh Elohim in the middle dwelling in the cloud and then there's veils blue purple and scarlet veils that go around all the walls and there's angels embroidered with golden threads in on these walls so this this is where we've been allowed to see into now I'm not going to say that we live in the most holy place because we don't the reason being we still have a, a physical body, but we're allowed that veil being ripped out. And that's back there in Matthew, the 27th chapter, where that, that veil was ripped out or ripped in two, 
we're able to see in there and we're able to partake of what's going on in there. What the high priest partook of in a type and in a shadow, in an example, this is where we live now, a new and living way. And you know yourself, let's just say, I'll just say in a, a very basic term, because I've been using the mortgage example, you're burdened, burdened, burdened down with, with financial worries, and you don't know how to make ends meet. And now all of a sudden your mortgage payment is fulfilled. Somebody, somebody comes along, they don't even know you. They just see you down on your luck on the corner and they hand you enough money to get all the rest of your financial problems out of your hair. And now you're unburdened, you're liberated, you're free from all of that problem. All of that weight has been lifted off you. And that's what Paul's trying to explain here. It's a new and a living way that he consecrated for us. He set aside for us. Now, if you know, if all that burden has gone off you, are you going to still be walking around moping, saying, geez, I don't know. No, you're going to be happy. You're going to be joyful. And you're going to live your life in Yahshua, the Messiah. And Paul talks about all different ways. Our hearts are knit together in love and um if you go over uh, to uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, the 13th chapter, he starts talking about what we'll experience with the Holy Spirit in love. And it's something that we didn't know a whole bunch about as carnal minds because we were, we were vicious. We were jealous. We were envious. We had malice. We had strife. We had all those uglinesses about us. Okay, but now Paul, when he starts talking about the gift of love, it's because you got the Holy Spirit. You can't, you can't manifest what Paul's describing in the first Corinthians, the 13th chapter as a carnal mind, because it's just totally, they're at odds with each other. So if you just read down a couple of those, you'll see where I'm talking about. Okay, 13.1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not its own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoice not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall be done away. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Okay. Five minutes, please. Thank you. Five minutes. Thanks, Sharon. When you start to dissect what Paul's talking about here, uh, where love suffers long, love is kind, it envies not. Like I said, a carnal mind, envy is in their heart all the time. They, they, 
they're definitely worried about you getting up on them, you getting more than them, you, um, you know, getting ahead of them. It's not fair. I did this. I did that. When you start to really dissect what Paul's talking about here, it doesn't vaunt itself up. It's not puffed up. Okay. It's not, doesn't behave unseemingly, doesn't seek its own. Okay. Thinks no evil. These things are an impossibility. You might have a glimmer every now and then if you're, you know, but these things are with the Holy Spirit. This is the heart and mind of Yahshua the Messiah in a vessel. To, to be able to do these things, you have to have him in you. And that's where Paul's talking about in that other scripture where he's saying, now we're in a new and a living way. See, the law was the law of sin and death. And it wasn't even for the Gentiles. The law was given to the Israelites. The Gentiles were just out there and, and they were helter-skelter, but they weren't any better. They didn't have any better of a prayer than the Israelites. Everybody was, was headed for the lake until Yahshua the Messiah picked them up, consecrated them, showed them a new and living way. And these are the things that you'll find yourself manifesting now in any way, um, you know, long suffering with, it doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter if you're just long suffering with something that you're dealing with in your own self, you now can long suffer in love because you trust Yahshua, whatever you're dealing with, you trust Yahshua that that's, if he, if he gave it to me, I can handle it because it also says over there in the scriptures, he doesn't give us more than what we can handle. Okay. So don't be looking like Peggy was saying earlier, you know, looking at everybody else's problems and this and that, you would, you would pick your own out of the group because you say, oh, I'm, I can't believe she's got to deal with that, right? So you are able to handle what he's given you, no matter what it is, with the faith of the operation. And um, I will conclude with, um, I'm just going to, I'm just going to read it. Um, it's Colossians and it's two and 12, where it says that we're buried with Yahshua in baptism in which also we are raised with him through the faith of the operation of Yahweh Elohim, who has raised him from the dead. So we now, that's how we resolve the question of baptism, what we're supposed to be doing now. It's not getting in physical water, folks. We're buried with him in baptism in which you are risen with him through the faith of the operation. We don't have time to get baptized because Yahshua already raised. So that, that ship has sailed. Now we just have to have the faith in the operation of Yahweh Elohim who raised Yahshua from the dead. And see, and that's where we abide now in that body of Yahshua, the Messiah. So when he comes, and he comes with great wrath on those that don't know Yahweh and haven't obeyed the gospel. We're in his body. So like I said, all that death and destruction and all that fear, all that's gone for us. We now are in a new and living way and we're liberated and we're happy and we're glad. I hope somebody got something out of that. Thank you for the time. Thank you, Dr. Kmetti. And for our final speaker tonight, we'd like to call on the Dean of Oceanside, California, Dr. Dennis Holpe. 
Uh, good evening, everyone. Just to do a sound check, uh, I'm assuming you hear me okay? Yes. All right, great, great. I want to make sure it's going through to YouTube. I want to say that the first two speakers really nailed it. I mean, they really brought out uh, the crux of this gospel, this teaching. Many fine points were talked about, and I'm going to try to just uh, work off of some of the things that have already been said. This third chapter of Matthew, uh, while, I, while we were reading it and while I was listening to the speakers, there were some things that came to my attention. Now, the other night, I'm not sure if it was last night actually, the scripture reading that we had in our class last night was Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter. So if you don't mind, let's go to Ezekiel 33 because I want to tie in what we have talked about tonight to this 33rd chapter of Ezekiel. And I want you to start reading at 1. Ezekiel 33 and 1. Again the word of Yahweh came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast, and set him for their watchmen. If when they he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people. And whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchmen see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel, Therefore, thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. Now, you're going to find out that at the, the uh, close of each age, uh, Greg, get me, if you don't mind, the chronology chart. Now, at the close of each age, Yahweh warned the eminent close of that age. Now, here we had Adam and Eve that were put in the Garden of Eden in the first age, the creative age. And Yahweh warned Adam that the day he eats of that tree, he will surely die. Now, we understand now, looking back, that that age had to end with the death of Adam. And that death was then pronounced upon all mankind. So that was a foregone conclusion that that was going to occur. That was not left to some chance uh, of, it, you know, of it happening or some chance that it might not happen. That was going to happen. And Yahweh said, in the day you eat thereof, not if you eat it, you will surely die. And Adam was warned. Now we come down through the second age, the antediluvian age. We come to the time of Noah. 
where we know that the world uh, at that time, Yahweh was displeased with mankind because every thought and every imagination was evil continually. So he chose Noah and showed him a vision. And that vision was a vision of salvation. Now, Noah was instructed to go preach that vision or to teach those people. And we read over there, I think it's in... Uh, it's either in uh, uh, Hebrews, the 12th chapter, or it's in Second Peter, the 3rd chapter. I don't remember which one. Where it says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Now, Dr. Kinley told us that Noah had a great following down at the end of that age when he preached the destruction of the world at that time by a great flood. And they then believed what he said, and followed him for many years. Now, Noah did not know the year that the flood would come. So they were in the same position we're in, where we know that it's coming. We don't know when it'll happen. Now, what those people did is they, in time, they tired of maintaining their faith in the vision. And began, as, as I remember Dr. Kinley talking about this, he said that they fell away one by one. So that when we got down to the time that the flood was going to come in that final year, that they became the apostates or scoffers that mocked Noah, uh, thinking that they had come from believing this uh, uh, fantasy or fairy tale or cunningly devised fable, whatever it was, and they were the ones that smartened up and, and Noah was still the, the fool, if you will. Now, Yahweh warned them before he destroyed them. And Noah was assured of the flood because he saw it in the vision. Now, when they went into that ark, Yahweh sealed the doors. He closed those doors. And I remember Dr. Kinley telling me that Yahweh had an angel seal the door of the ark because he said Noah was a very kind-hearted man that when they came and would start pounding on the door of the ark, when the flood started and asking, please open the door, let me in. Didn't I help you uh, cut the wood and build this ark? And didn't I follow you for so many years? Now, the problem was, it doesn't matter what you did. It matters what you are found to be doing down when this end occurs. So now what we got here is, Noah could not, did not have the power to save those people. That door was sealed, and all those eight souls that were in that ark, plus the animals, were already foreordained unto salvation. When, when Yahweh showed Noah that flood, he showed him it would be him and his family, his sons and their daughters. And that closed that age out, that warning. Now here we come into the post-Diluvian age, and we're coming down through 2,377 years. And there's going to come a point where that age has to come to a close. And in that age, we know we had the promise to Abraham uh, to multiply his seed and to give them the land that would be their inheritance. And we also know that Yahweh opened up, obviously, a covenant 
with Israel, with those offspring of Abraham. And it was what we refer to as the Old Covenant or the Old Testament that was made with them. We also know that Yahweh prophesied, Yahweh Elam prophesied through Jeremiah that the day would come when that covenant would come to a, a close and there would be a new covenant. Now we're getting down to the end of the fourth age. And in that age, Yahshua was born in, I mean, I'm sorry, I said the fourth age, I meant the third age. We're getting down to the end of that third age and Yahshua was born right down at the end of that third age where the fourth age was about to open up. And we know that Yahweh set up a prophet to warn the people. Now, John was the last prophet to prophesy under the law, the, uh, the, under the old covenant or under that dispensation of the law. And John, in this, uh, if you will, statement, I'll use the word admonition here that he made in the third chapter. I want to go back over to that for a minute. Now let's get back over there to the third chapter of, of uh, Matthew. And I, uh, let's see here. Well, let's, let's start at one because there's a couple things I want to get right in the beginning too. Matthew 3, 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea mm -hmm. and saying, and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now listen, the repentance that we're looking at is for them to acknowledge, and it was pointed out tonight, uh, they had to acknowledge their sins, that they were sinful, that they did not obtain righteousness by the Mosaic law. And so anybody that came to John the Baptist had to confess his sins. And that was a, a prerequisite. Now, what Paul tells, I mean, excuse me, I keep saying Paul, I'm sorry. John tells them here is this, repent and for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, you're going to find out if you go over, hold your finger there for a minute. I've got the time. I might as well have you get it. Go to the 10th chapter of Matthew for a minute. And I'm not going to have you read. Obviously, there's a lot in that chapter, but I want to go down in here where he told the apostles. Uh, in the second verse, they named all of the apostles. And the third verse. Now, I want you to go down to 5 and... Start reading at 5. <coughs> Matthew 10 and 5. These 12 Yahshua sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans. Enter ye not. Mm -hmm. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Mm -hmm. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now here we have the same thing being repeated that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, it's about to be made manifest. Now, don't forget that Yahshua is the Holy Spirit. And let's not forget that John was born with the Holy Spirit. So when John made the statement in the third chapter that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that the same one saying it there that says it over here in Matthew, the 10th chapter, and I mean the Holy Spirit now, or Yahshua himself. Now, they were told to go out, the 12, and preach this. Keep going, just a little bit more in there. 
Verse 8, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Mm -hmm. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, mm -hmm. nor scrip for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. Mm -hmm. And into whatsoever city or town he shall enter, inquire who in it is, in it is worthy. Now stop. Okay, thank you. Stop right there. Now, when you read that bold face, that is to say for uh, surface, you would think that they knock on a door and say, are you worthy to hear what I'm about to tell you? Well, that's not the way it worked, ladies and gentlemen. The bottom line is they went in and began to preach. Now, the ones that would receive it that were worthy are the ones that were chosen by Yahweh from the beginning to hear and to know the mysteries. You and I don't know who Yahweh is going to pull out of darkness and reveal this thing to. That's why our job now is to go and preach to any soul that may be willing to listen. And we don't decide whether they're worthy. And frankly, I have had the experience in my tenure in this class to talk to somebody about class and while I'm talking, to them, yeah, they're never going to accept this. That's what I'm thinking in my head. And then later, they're in class and they're starting to embrace it. Well, I learned my lesson many years ago that you cannot determine who Yahweh's going to open this thing up to. And some of the people I thought, oh my gosh, when I lay this on them, they're going to eat it up. They're going to love it. And then they hear it, and all of a sudden a scowl comes over their face, and they get real quiet and don't want to hear any more about what you're saying. I've had those experiences. I'm not speaking hypothetically. Now, I've learned that I, it's not my job to decide who's going to receive this and who's not, because I, frankly, I don't know. But my job is to do the will of Yahweh, and that is to preach the gospel and let him give the increase to whoever will receive it. So when they were going into the house to see who was worthy, that means they preached it, and if some believed, then they were worthy. And some didn't believe, they're ones, they were the ones that were not worthy. And watch what he tells them to do. Go ahead and read. So, in, into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when ye come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it not be worthy, let your peace return to you. Mm -hmm. and, who, and whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Now that's what I wanted to talk about. We have to learn how to shake the dust off of our feet. We have to understand that you didn't do something wrong when you preached the gospel to somebody and gave them what Yahweh gave you, and it didn't seem to have an impact on them. You can't take the fault for that. And when somebody does hear it, you can't take the credit for it either and think, well, yeah, I did a nice job tonight. I really covered this and that, and I'm very articulate, and I explained this well. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we got to get over that stuff. We got to recognize who's running the show here. You and I are trying to express a revelation that's been given to us by this divine vision being preached to us. We can explain what we have been, what we've seen. We cannot cause anybody to understand it 
or to receive it. Now, their hearts have to be prepared and they have to be softened. They got to have a heart in them to embrace the truth and to uh, to uh, uh, love it and to take it as something precious. And you and I can't make somebody have that heart. Only Yahweh Elohim, only Yahshua can give that heart to that person. Now, what I'm saying this is for the same reason that what John was doing back over here, going back over uh, now to the third chapter where we were, uh, John was telling them uh, here that he came to, uh, we left off at which verse now? Uh, let's see here. Three. Uh, three. Okay. Now, and two, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, we understand what the kingdom is now. Now, the world thinks the kingdom means the end of the world when you're going to go to heaven and it's going to be like a medieval castle. And they think that it's going to be Jesus in there with his mom, Mary, and his father sitting on a throne and him to the right of him. And we're all going to have at a, go to a big table and have the best meal we ever had in our life. And then go out and play golf after. This is the way we think about things when we don't have any understanding. Now, all of a sudden, we come into this class and Dr. Kinley tells us, and he goes over there and quotes Paul, where Paul said that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. Well, when they preached to those people the kingdom is at hand, that was before Pentecost, and those people did not know a thing about what the true kingdom was. So they've got an idea. Oh my gosh, we must be coming back to the time where David, where the Messiah is going to come now, and come on Mount Moriah and make us the mightiest nation in the world where we will rule. They got this whole idea of what the kingdom is. Now, Yahshua tells them in another place. He said, when they say the kingdom is here, the kingdom is there, believe it not. He says, for the kingdom does not come with observation. For the kingdom is within you. And we have been taught and schooled by the founder and learned that the kingdom is not a place, it's not meats and drinks, it's not a place to play golf or anything, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It is a state and condition of our soul that will be, uh, that we will able to be able to experience and taste of when that kingdom is revealed to us within us. So John, in effect, ladies and gentlemen, here when he makes the statement to his followers, is admonishing them because that kingdom does not really manifest itself in the sense of coming into anyone until the day of Pentecost. Now, on the other side of the coin, Yahshua the Messiah that Holy Spirit is the kingdom of Yahweh, and he was walking around amongst them, so the kingdom was with them. But they couldn't observe it, because the kingdom does not come with observation. Now, when you have a carnal mind, you don't know nothing about what the kingdom really is. you got an imagination. 
And here's Yahshua, the kingdom of Yahweh, walking amongst them, and they're totally oblivious to it. But on the day of Pentecost, when that spirit was poured out, and he told the apostles in the 14th chapter of John that uh, I'm going to have to leave, and you're all going to be tore up about it, but I'm going to send you another comforter, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. And he says this, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come unto you. In other words, I'm going to come in you. Because he tells him later, he said, but when the comforter is come, whom the father will send in my name, he shall bring back to your remembrance all things whatsoever I have shown unto you. Now that happens on the day of Pentecost. So the net effect is that that day of Pentecost was the close of the age. That's when that third age ended. Yahshua's death, burial, and resurrection had to take place first. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was the beginning of the fourth age that we live in. That was the New Testament, as we call it, or the New Covenant. And that's what the New Age is. And it says it right on this chart here. It says over here under the 5th and 6th there, it says New Testament or New Covenant. Now, what John did is warn them to alert them that he came to hand over the reins to someone else. That he wasn't the one that was going to bring them into the kingdom. Now that goes back to that goes back to Moses right there in the wilderness of Sinai. Because Moses, they thought, was their leader that brought him up out of the land of Egypt and led him to Mount Sinai and had uh, was tight with God because he was hanging out with them and he had, you know in the tent and up at the top of the uh, of the mountain talks to God. And yet Moses was not the one that could bring them into the kingdom. I'm talking about the physical manifestation of Canaan's land back then. And here in the 32nd, uh, 30, uh, let's see, I think it was the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy, Moses calls the whole assembly together to tell them that he has the words of the book that were written, and it's going to be recorded and be a witness against them if they were not obedient to it. And then told them, I know after my death that you shall utterly corrupt yourself. Now Moses was warning them because his tenure in the wilderness was coming to an end because he knew that Yahweh said he wasn't going to go over into that so-called promised land. So he has to hand the reins over to Yahshua, the son of Nun, who is the walking manifestation and actually the same spirit that was in Yahshua the Messiah, was in Yahshua, the son of Nun, and he was a portrayal of the purpose of Yahweh manifested back under the law that only Yahshua, can bring you, so to speak, into the kingdom. That can lead you into the kingdom and give you your inheritance. So Moses had to be cut off at that veil. He warned them that they would be going over, and he had Yahshua 
as the one that would be leading them. Now, what I want you to know is that John knew that he was not going to continue. He told them that I must decrease so that he may increase. Keep reading back in the third chapter. I want to go back to where he talks about, um, uh, well, you read two, read three. I'm sorry. Go ahead. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Messiah, make his path straight. Now listen, that was that was perfect the way you read that. Prepare ye the way. Now see, when it reads Lord in the New Testament, that's not the Tetragrammaton, if you check the uh, Strong's on that. That Lord is used as a reference to the Master or the rabbi, and that's Yahshua. He's the master of these disciples now uh, and of these people. Now, what he says, prepare ye the way and make his path straight. In other words, what was he preparing? Well, when Yahshua came, and it's further down in the, in, the, in the chapter, and he said, I have need to be baptized of you, and Yahshua said, well, just do it anyway. Suffer it to be so now, because it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, when I first heard that verse, when I came into class and I was quite young in my understanding, I said, what do you mean? Fulfill means to complete or end. They're ending righteousness? That was the thought that came in my mind. Because I did not understand at that point how the purpose worked to the degree that I understand it now. Now, what I want you to know is this. There was a righteousness set up under the law. And that righteousness was if you could keep it, you'd be righteous. And nobody could keep it. Now, what Yahshua came in was to end the righteousness by works. That means you going out and doing things that God said to do, and that would make you a righteous person deserving of having your place in the kingdom. Now, what Yahweh did, and I like what, 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 what Deb quoted there when he said there was none righteous, no, not one. Now, what we have happened there is this, that Yahweh concluded everyone under sin. And all of their righteousness was as filthy rags, showing that not one of them could save themselves or not one of them were worthy. Now that's exactly what Yahweh wanted. That's the way he set the purpose up. So that that would necessitate that we, being contrite, broken down with sorrow because of our unrighteousness, and humble would be willing to accept correction and chastisement. Now, you know, it's easy for you to bow to the truth when you're already broken down. It's when you're high on yourself that you got a real problem taking correction. Now, what I want you to know is this, that those people that came to John, they were broken down. They were contrite. And, and we read in Isaiah that Yahweh said he dwells in eternity with uh, the high and lofty one, with those that are of a contrite and humble spirit. Now, Yahshua sent John into the world to gather all of those sinners together that were contrite and humble, that thirsted for righteousness. And he would had to take out the, uh, the righteousness, which was by works, that you could obtain your own self, thereby thinking that you had a right to enter the kingdom. Now, once he fulfills the righteousness there at the at the at the uh, the Jordan River, he ended it. 
Nobody now could take any credit for the righteousness that would that from that point forward be in Yahshua the Messiah that eventually was put in Paul and Peter and James and John on the day of Pentecost. It would not be their righteousness. It would be the righteousness of Yahshua the Messiah that was in them, which is the new covenant, which is the righteousness of faith, the righteousness of grace. Now, Paul, now what I'm saying is that John was sent in warning them that the kingdom was at hand. Now, when Peter, James, and John, I believe, were followers of John the Baptist, if I'm not mistaken, uh, when, when uh, 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 John pointed them out, Behold the Lamb of Yahweh that cometh to take away the sins of the world. Now, they reported that we have found him of whom Moses and the prophets did speak. Now, you got to remember that they do not know the purpose at that point. So from their view viewpoint, they thought they found him. Well, hey, we came across him. We got him now. The truth is they were led by Yahweh himself to Yahshua. And when Yahshua walked up and said to Peter, Peter, follow me. Peter didn't deliberate. Peter didn't say, let me think it over. I'll give you an answer when I got uh, in a couple of days. Why? Because what was put down inside of Peter, first of all, Peter knew he was a sinner. He knew he was not worthy. He was contrite and he was humble and he had been baptized by John as a confessed sinner. And when they hear Yahshua say, I have not sinned, and John baptizes him anyway, and the talk starts, they realize this man must be special because John was telling them I was sent in to point out the one that is coming in now to establish the kingdom. Let's, let's, let's read it in the third chapter here. I, I'm paraphrasing it, but I want you to read He said, I'm preparing the way of... Yahshua or the Messiah make his path straight and they realized that John's job was to point out the Messiah keep reading okay four and the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather belt about his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey read then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about the Jordan Mm -hmm. and were baptized and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Read. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Watch. Watch. Those Pharisees could not confess that they were sinners openly. They could not do it. Because they perpetuated an image that they were righteous. And for them to openly proclaim they were sinners, that would have caused them to lose their status. And them be over these people. People would think, well, they're, you know, uh, uh, they're no different than me. Why should I follow them? So those Pharisees and Sadducees rejected his baptism. And he told them they were vipers. You follow? And he said, who hath, uh, you know, and he said, uh, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
In other words, there was going to be wrath upon them. And here's what Yahshua told those Pharisees. He said, listen, because you say you have no sin, then your sin remaineth with you. Now, what I want you to know is they would be the objects of Yahweh's wrath. And we know that there's going to be that point where all those souls are going to be cast into the lake of fire. And so what he's doing is he's warning them that something great is about to take place, that this age, and I'm not saying he specifically said it like this, that this age is coming to an end, but that was the reality of it, that what John was setting up was a warning that something, a change, a cataclysmic change was going to occur. Keep reading. Eight, bring forth, therefore, fruits befitting repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say unto you that Elohim is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Go ahead. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And at this stage, there is no fruit of the Spirit on any of the trees. That fruit of the Spirit can only come about after it is fertilized with the Holy Spirit. Just like an egg and a woman cannot bear a human being or bring forth a human being unless it's fertilized. So you have to be fertilized with the Holy Spirit. That means that he put his spirit in you and that it goes down into the depths of your soul and starts making changes to take place in you that you become a new creature, just like the way the sperm enters the egg, the eggs start dividing, changes take place, and it's starting to form that new creature. Now that's exactly what's happening here, and the word that is capable of causing those changes was not to be preached by John the Baptist. John's job was to point out the Messiah. Yahshua is the teacher. He is the one that is going to preach the words of eternal life. That's why in John, the sixth chapter, he made this statement. He said, you know, eat my body, drink my blood, and you'll, you'll live forever. And of course, they thought he was talking cannibalism. Well, he tells them later in verse 63 that the flesh doesn't profit anything. He said, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. So we know that the words had to come forth from that fountain of truth and righteousness had to come out of his mouth. Now, as he was preaching those things, those apostles were hearing these things, and it was committed to their memory. You say, well, how do you know that? Because in John 14, he said, when the Comforter has come, which is the Holy Spirit, he will bring back to your remembrance everything that I have said unto you. Five minutes, now, please. I got it. I got the five minutes. Yep. He said, now listen. In other words, what he was committing to their memory was the words, but they did not have the understanding of the words at that point. Therefore, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit entered into them, it would cause those words to take on a meaning and an understanding of Yahweh and his purpose and plan that would then bear fruit, that would bring about fruit of the Spirit. And that's what we see happen with Peter and James and John and Paul the Apostle. 
They bore the fruit of the Spirit once they had the Holy Spirit in them. They were fertilized with the Holy Spirit. And John was just warning them, and he was telling them now what was coming up. Keep reading. 12. Um, 11, actually. I 11, I'm sorry. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In other words, here he is with the Holy Spirit, but he's telling them, I can't give you the Holy Spirit. And listen, he said, I'm not worthy to bear. I can't teach you these re the reality of these things. It's, gonna, it's got to be him that speaks these words of eternal life and that are in, uh, planted into your soul and that he will then bring forth fruit from within you. And see, and uh, uh, keep reading. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the granary, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That's right. Chaff is the waste product, ladies and gentlemen, usually from straw. See, and listen, the people out there that don't bear fruit, that don't have the Holy Spirit, there's nothing in their soul that's worthy of acceptance by Yahweh. See, and that's the problem. Now listen, just I know I'm, I'm, I've only got two minutes, so I can't go in and explain all of this, but all I want to get you to understand is this. This baptism that Yahshua is going to baptize us, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and in fire, even after Pentecost, the apostles weren't understanding the reality of that because John, I mean, uh, Paul, the uh, Peter, excuse me, not Paul, Peter was still going out baptizing people in water and telling them to repent. Now, why did he do that? Because he was a follower of John the Baptist, and that was the baptism he was accustomed to, and he knew that it was a baptism unto repentance. Therefore, after Pentecost, he was telling people to repent and be baptized with, you know, and receive the Holy Spirit. Now, what he wasn't aware of until later on is that the baptism, the true baptism, was when he was expressing the death, burial, and resurrection of Yahshua and, and inundating them in the name of the Father and of the Son, Yahweh and Yahshua. They were already being immersed when he was teaching and speaking those things. So here he goes out and starts speaking to the, to the Gentiles. He starts preaching them uh, the, uh, in the name of Yahshua and Yahweh that uh, this man had raised from the dead and that he was the son of Yahweh, and so on. Listen, they, the Holy Spirit fell upon him, and he was astonished because he didn't put him in water yet. That's when he realized, then, then remembered I, that he said, you shall be baptized with fire in the Holy Spirit. That was brought back by the Holy Spirit after Pentecost to him and corrected his understanding that water baptism was not necessary. Now, the repentance over there that Paul or, uh, John talked about is because they had all sinned in trying to keep the Mosaic Law. After Pentecost, the repentance is you letting go of those things that are not true and right once you've heard the gospel preach and uh, uh, latching on to the truth. And, 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 and that becomes what you find your uh, spiritual uh, 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 comfort in and you have faith in, and so in other words, what I'm telling you is we are, when we come into class, the gospel is preached, we were raised as a Catholic, we always called him Jesus, and we always had communion. 
Now all of a sudden somebody gets on the floor, says name isn't Jesus, there's no J. They go into the fact that that was set up back there under the old covenant, it didn't save them. Now you are saved through you partaking of the spiritual knowledge of Yahweh and you hear it, you understand it, and you let go of communion in the name Jesus. That's the repentance under this covenant now. All those things that you need to uh, get over that you have physical issues with, the Holy Spirit's going to take care of that as he as you grow in the Spirit. He's going to make you uh, 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 have a new uh, uh, motivation in your soul that'll bring you away from those things. He's going to cause you to walk in his statutes, in other words. So, I went over one minute. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I hope I didn't confuse anyone. And I'll turn it back to the moderator. Peace in Yahshua. Thank you, Dr. Volpe. And I'd like to thank all that uh, has joined us this evening. Uh, we are here every Wednesday uh, on Zoom and live broadcasting on YouTube on Wednesdays at 7. And we are in-person classes on Saturday at the Salina Civic Center, which will be uh, uploaded to our YouTube channel at a later date on, Wednesday, on Saturdays from 7 to 9. We'll conclude this class with a doxology, which are taken from the last two verses of the book of Jude. Now I'm to him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless in the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise Elohim, our savior, through Yahshua, the Messiah, our sovereign, belong glory and majesty, dominion and power, both before all time and now and ever. Let the class say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. hallelujah.